0: I want to read a chapter from the Bible, and it's in the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, that little book tucked in, in the Old Testament, just four little chapters, Uh, but a wonderful story of this woman that we're going to look at a little this morning. So we want to break in at chapter 2 of the little book of Ruth, and we're going to commence to read, please, at the verse 1. Ruth. Chapter 2, and the verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean the ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace, And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant, It was set over the reapers. Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And he said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she has tarried a little, but she has tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them, have I not charged the young men, that they shall not touch thee. And when thou art athirst, Go unto to the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said to him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me. And for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip of the morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field unto even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up, and went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave her that which she reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that hath taken knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her, Daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is of near kin to us, one of her kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, That thou shalt keep fast by my young men till they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, and that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz, to glean into the end of barley harvest, and of wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Amen. And we know God will bless the public reading of his inerrant word. Let's unite in prayer together, please. Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the privilege of coming before your throne today. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful God that you are. We thank you, Lord, for the greatness of your person, for the majesty and the greatness of your name. And we bow in reverence and fear. We ask, Lord, this morning that your Holy Spirit would be poured out among us. We pray that you would put a hedge around us and, Lord, that your presence would fill this sanctuary. Loving Father, we need you, Lord. We need your presence. We thank you for this living word. We thank you for Christ, the one who came, died and rose again. And we thank you, loving Father, that by your Spirit you long to help us. You long to be with us and encourage and strengthen us. So, Lord, I commit myself 100% to you. I pray that you would cleanse and sanctify me, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to all our hearts. Again, Lord, we take authority in your name over every power and influence that is not of God, not of the Holy Spirit, and we pray that the presence of God would be real, that Jesus would be real in the midst. We ask this and give thanks in Jesus name. Amen and Amen Now, time didn't permit me uh, the chapter one, and I felt almost that I should have but By way of context, I'm just going to tell you a little about this book. There are at least three amazing truths regarding the book of Ruth. The first one is, of course, that the book of Ruth is a literal book. It is the story especially of a young woman who came from a pagan background, put her trust in the God of the Jews, and became an amazing, amazing woman for many reasons, both in the book. But then the second and the most important regarding this book is that she would be involved in the lineage, in the coming of the Messiah. God would bring a Gentile into the line, and she, by privilege, would become essentially one of the mothers of the Messiah. The other one is prophetic. When we see it, although initially reading, one may not see it. And that is, the book is very much prophetic in that it tells the story in chapter 1 of the people of Israel being disobedient, God had warned through Moses that if they did depart from the Lord, if they were disobedient, then there would be various curses, plagues would come upon them. And one of those plagues would be a time of famine. And they experienced that in the very place where they were living, Bethlehem, the house of bread. And so they had to leave. Israel. And they went to a foreign pagan land, Moab, and there they lived. And there were many sad events in the home because Naomi and her husband Elimelech, when they left, they brought two sons. The two sons got married, and the father died, and then the two sons died, apparently in a relatively short period of time. It was a very sad, sad home. But in it we see that God providentially had warned that when the people of Israel would sin, he would discipline them. But of course we know from the New Testament that when the people of Israel rejected their Messiah, when the Jews rejected their Messiah, then their Messiah came and was welcomed by the Gentiles. And the Gentile bride was brought in. And through the Gentile bride, many were brought in to the kingdom. And the Gentile bride then returned back to God and the blessings accrued back to the Jews. There is so much prophetically in this book, but we don't want to look at that this morning. We're looking at the actual story. And we're looking specifically at the chapter 2 of the story of this woman, Ruth. I have entitled the message, The Outcome of Total Commitment. The Outcome of Total Commitment. Something I have observed in reading as a younger Christian in my personal life and in the lives of Christians I have met down through the decades, is that the Christians committed to Christ see things that others don't. They experience things about God that others don't. And this issue of being totally committed to Christ is key to whether you will experience God in a deeper way in your life. Now, let me clarify something because it is possible that a person could go as far in their Christian life to be totally committed to serving, following, and giving their life to Christ. But that giving to God must be accompanied by faith. You see, when we give everything, it doesn't make us any stronger Because all we're doing is emptying our lives. All we're doing is letting go of our plans. To do that is simply to be as weak as one was before doing it. You see, I could commit my life to the Lord, but unless I am empowered by the Lord, then that commitment I will be unable to sustain, and I will not see what I would desire to see supernaturally of God, his power, his presence, his provision, his purity, and so on. When one gives all to God and trusts God— for the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, then, then, the Lord begins to become more real in your life. Why we use the term of total commitment is because in the life of Ruth, in chapter 1, I find it one of the most pronounced uh, texts of scripture regarding a person making a voluntary choice to totally follow the Lord. Now, started over 40 years ago. I wanted rid of my sin. I lived in a country that was very much favorable a land where there was virtually no form of any persecution, unless you counted being persecution, which I don't think you could. So it was easy. And when I was converted, my primary thought was, I am going to hell because of my sin. I'm told about a Savior, and I came to him, and I asked for his forgiveness, not understanding the dimensions or the responsibilities or the commitment that was required, not understanding much of it at all, but simply coming and the Lord save me. But all I had to do was give up my sin to repent. That was all the demands. But but when we read the book of Ruth, we discover it was much more glaring for Ruth. You see, my friends, the night I was saved, I didn't have to leave my home. The night I was saved, I didn't have to change lots of things. But but this woman, it was radical. It was goodbye mom and dad, goodbye family, goodbye religion, goodbye everything. Goodbye culture, goodbye country. And what you see is that with this woman, for you and I, perhaps it takes years sometimes for those challenges to come to our hearts in life where God challenges us through through circumstances about, about doing what he wants. And then we have to decide accordingly, you know, what will I do? But, but this woman faced it all at the one time. And I want to read to you the... Just the volume, literally the volume, in which she addressed. And and by the way, the mother-in-law really—you read it at your at your leisure, chapter one. Her mother-in-law wasn't really a brilliant evangelist because when you read it, she was very negative. And she said to her two daughters, "They, you know, you." but God's hands against me and I mean she was very uh, she wasn't an advocate for really coming to the Lord but yet in the midst of that this woman Ruth it says in verse 16 chapter 1 let me read the few verses Ruth said in reply when her mother-in-law was saying, listen you go back we're going to go to Beth because there's been bread has come. God is. We want to go back to Israel, to the Jewish God again. And she said to her daughters-in-law, listen, you go back. There's nothing for you. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. Where thou diest, I will, di- will I die. Where thou art buried, there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part us. And when Naomi saw that she was steadfastly minded, to go with her, she left speaking. Now, that word means that she had amazing courage. She had no idea what she was going to. Leaving everything that she knew behind, everything, and embracing something that was just like Abraham, going out not knowing whether she was going But she was steadfast, she was courageous, and she had faith. It was a total commitment. There was no half measure. She wasn't going to go half the way. She wasn't going to tuck some of the benefits in her garments and say, I'm safe that's as far as I go. No, at this point, she declares that the Lord of the Jews, Jehovah, will be her God. I'm giving up on my gods. And my, was she well to do that. Because the gods of the Moabites were wicked gods. They were all into fertility, they were very much immorality, as was often the case with these pagan gods. But also, Moloch was one of the favorite gods, the god of abortion, where the children were taken and they were burned alive and sacrificed, the god of abortion. That god is still healthy today in our province. I was hearing recently or reading I think it's in the last year, perhaps, or maybe since, that come in 3,000 children murdered in our country, 3,000 people murdered in our country. That was the kind of country she was leaving, giving up on the old gods, and so she steps out in total commitment. There would have been much apprehension, but a sense and a witness within her that the Lord was now her God. And it was a new journey. And when we come to the Lord, it is a new journey. And and when she arrived in chapter 2... The very apparent thing is that she needs food. She needs bread. And you know the promise of God is that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will add all things unto us. Now, the Lord didn't make her so the American blab and grab stuff, it wouldn't have worked for no Rolls Royce and swimming pool. Not coming. Work, take it and claim it. No, no. This woman, when she arrived, she was conscious, first of all, that she was a foreigner. And secondly, she was poor. She was poor. Because she immediately said to her mother in law, she said, I've got to go to the fields. Let me go to the field and glean ears of corn. And you see, in the Old Testament, God had made provision for the foreigners. God had made provision for the widows. God had made provision for the orphans. And whenever the people who owned the land like Boaz, they were harvesting and bringing in their crops. If they happened to leave a part of a crop behind if they sheaves of corn or whatever and part of it fell they weren't allowed to go back. It was for the foreigners and for the poor. Round the edge of the hedges was to be left for the foreigners. God made provision. There's always been poor, there always will be poor but God has provision for them. And so this Woman who has made a total commitment to follow, is stepping out in this life, she recognizes that there are many things against her. The first one's poverty. Don't forget this young woman has already buried her husband, her brother in law, and her father in law. The only person in this world that she knows is her mother-in-law, who happens to be a very unhappy, disgruntled Jewish woman. But here she is, and she begins to look after the necessities of life. And you know, when God was speaking to one of the old uh, prophets, or king rather, before he became king, the Lord said to him, he said, before he was actually ordained as king and do as occasion serves, for God is with thee. You know, friends, whenever you're doing God's will and totally committed in your life to the Lord, not every day you're going to lead someone to the Lord. Not every day is a day whenever you're going to be writing a book about it. Most days are mundane. Most days have just the problems of life that are thrown at us all. But the Lord said, do as occasion serves, just just do what you can and follow me and keep committed to me and keep close to me and do as occasion serves. Do what you can, he said, for I'm with you. I'm with you. And so, in the uncertainty, that's what he did. Now, in verse 3, we discover a wonderful truth. And that is the wonderful truth: when you're totally committed to Christ, that God gives some cast-iron guarantees that cannot and will not be broken. Might I? And those promises, many of us are familiar with some of them. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We have a God who not only saves us, we not only who by his Spirit fills us, but we have a God who promises to guide us. A God who is... Ups and downs of life. In all the sadness and all the tears, in all the laughter and joy, he promises, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That is one of the greatest comforts, abiding presence. Of the eternal God. The covenant of God that cannot lie. Regardless of how we feel subjectively, regardless of how we are internally. Do not seek me. You cannot find me, but I am with you. Was in the verse 3 when she went to start gleaning and find some food, it said that she went into a field after the reapers and happened to go into the field of Boa. You see, there's no, there's no word of her bowing down on the path and having an hour of prayer and intercession that the Lord would guide the step. I suggest it's good to pray and wait on the Lord. But there are times whenever we must just be like Ne before the king, and the king asked him a difficult question about what he was doing and where he was going and when he was going. And the Bible says that he just Prayed to the God of heaven in his heart. He just prayed to God. And God heard him. How many prayers are answered in that way? I was relating last night. We had folk in our home. And we were sharing. And I told them about a thing I had heard back about a year or so ago. And it was a young convert, a couple of young Christians. And they went to an event and they they met guy and he was uh, in the gathering to uh, the Christians just knew just knew didn't know a lot and so the guy was talking to them and he said you know I, I have power as well I, I, I'm into and he started to tell them and he, he said you know I can come and visit you tonight they said what you're a long distance oh he said I'll come and visit you and I'll come and he said I'll I'll stand beside you I'll appear to you I have that power so they were a bit taken aback but afterwards they were going home chatting together as young converts do and knowing nothing but thinking knowing everything but we've all been there and whenever they were they said you know this is interesting and whatever and then one said I'm not that happy if he appears I wouldn't be that pleased if he appeared. And they said, no, that wouldn't be good, maybe. And maybe it's not. They pulled the car in, and in childlike faith, they said, Lord, this man has said he's going to come and appear with us. He's going to do this thing called astral travel, astral projection. And he's going to come and visit us. And Lord, Lord, I, we have no idea about that. we never heard of this. But Lord, if it's not right... Lord, we don't want him to come. So, Lord, please help us. And that's all they prayed. They drove on. A time traveled to an event and they chatted to him and they said, Do you remember that night you said you were going to come and you were going to appear to us? He said, I do. Well, you didn't appear. Well, he said, let me tell you about that. It, this only happened once. It never happened before or since. But he said, I did travel. And he said, I'll tell you where. And he told them exactly where they were in their car. And he said, I came to your car, but there was something around your car. And he said, I could not get near your car. And I had to give up and come back. <laughs> you see, my dear friends, it's not the greatness of our faith. It's not- greatness of our commitment, even it's a little face in a great God. it's, it's about God, it's about God, how great He is. You see, when you have your trust in him, there's no losing. there is no losing. Well, this woman, she was going and she didn't, pray. she didn't do any big thing, but she happened to go into the right field. You know what the Lord says? I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make the darkness for them, and the crooked things straight, these things will I do unto them, and not forsake them. Oh, she had divine guidance. She didn't try to manipulate. She didn't ring, or she couldn't have, but had she lived in Northern Ireland, in the culture that we have, probably she would have arrived And find out whatever was going on. And she would have made a few phone calls. Can you tell me where the field of Boaz is? I'll just let on. I'm going in. Just, just, you know. No, she just has a childlike faith. Just trusting God. Lord, guide my steps. Direct my path. Help me. That's it, and totally committed to you. And the Lord guides this woman. I love the story of Saul when he was a young man in his early days, when he knew the anointing and the empowering of the Spirit, and when God was preparing to raise up a new king, the first king for Israel. The Bible says a couple of donkeys got lost. That's where the story begins, a couple of old donkeys getting lost. And Saul sent out with a servant to go and look for these donkeys, and he goes hither, thither, here, there, and can he find the donkeys? And eventually the servant said, there's a seer, there's a man of God. If we'll go to him, he'll tell us where the donkeys are. And he eventually arrived, and the man of God had been told the day before, the Lord said, there's a man coming, and he's going to be king of Israel, and you're going to anoint him. Saul in his heart at that stage was committed to Christ. He was committed to the Lord. But you see, the Lord, he was looking for donkeys, and the Lord was looking for him. He thought he was just out for an ordinary errand to find something. But God had already planned that, no, you're going through these old donkeys. I'm going to lead you to a place where you're going to be anointed. And I'm going to speak to you through the great prophet of Israel. And you're going to be my man over the nation of Israel. Oh, it's amazing how God works. It's amazing how God works. And it's amazing when you commit to Christ how that as you keep obeying day by day and you do those ordinary things in commitment to him, how that suddenly, unexpectedly, just as she walked into the field that day and just as this woman walked up and met the man of God that day, how that God can providentially bring us into the place where he has us and God can speak to us and God can comfort us, and God can assure us that we're in the right place. Because, my friend, the greatest thing beyond is to know 100% that you're in the center of the will of God. And so... Off she goes, and God guides her. But a wonderful thing happened her commitment and her looking for the practical things as a poor woman to try and just get food home for the mother or the mother-in-law. What happens is that God has something wonderfully planned. Now, I've told you this before, but I love telling this little story, and I have proved it in my own personal life, and it's one of the reasons why even when I get down and depressed and discouraged, and if I feel the Lord, and, and there's a thousand reasons why I often say Lord, I could understand why you would throw me in the dustbin. I mean that. I can't understand why he keeps lifting me up. Even though I have learned so much, yet there are times I disobey. But he's always so merciful. And he always gives, And he always grants his presence back. And his favor and his love. And one of the reasons why I keep getting up and one of the reasons why I keep pressing on is because of God's plan. You see, friends, I've told you it before about the little boy with his mother in the shop, and they had the pick and mix front, and the big man behind the counter, a big burly man, leaned forward and said to the wee boy, Son, take a handful of sweets. And the wee boy stood and never moved. He said, go on, son, take a handful. The wee boy never moved, and his mother hit him a crack, said, lift the sweets. He wouldn't do it. Well, mum wasn't happy, but he stood his ground. And eventually the big man came round from behind the counter, and he took a handful of sweets and gave it to the wee boy. And happy as Larry, out he went with the mother. And she got him And she says, why didn't you do what that man said? And she says, because that man had a bigger hand. God has a bigger hand, my friend. Some of you today are planning your life. And you've it all sussed out and you've your hand out and whatever it might be but you'll never get the man behind the counter to come round to you because you've already taken it. You've already taken it. But, oh, it's a wonderful day when you hold back and give up and let the Lord come and give his hand. It's always bigger. It's always grander. And it's eternal. Because no matter what ambitions you have for this life, my friend... When you come to the end of the journey, and it will inevitably come for us all, all the money, all the holidays, all the fame, all the wealth, all the ground, all that stuff, if that's the big part of your life, if that's the thing that really makes you tick, my friend, when you come, and it will happen, a day will come when you and I have to say goodbye. Listen, you won't be saying, I wish I had bought a bigger house. Believe me. You'll not be saying, I wish I'd got a grander and went in and been as good as... Listen, all that nonsense and that whole thing pervades the church today. The church is pervaded with that. Pervaded. Idolatry. But we'll not go there this morning. This woman, she's committed... And what happens is she goes into the right place, and when she she hears something that she, she hears, she's not that well acquainted, with, but she's going to get more acquainted with this voice. who is called my dear friend the Lord Jesus and this man comes in and the Lord you all I could just imagine an Some of them the say head my wee bit. If you were a wee bit more honest and you But what did they reply? And the Lord bless You know, after you get saved. Lord's a problem. It's a problem. And people, and I mean that they're good people, and they're sincere people. I haven't time to go into the reason, but they know the voice of the Lord. They don't really know the voice of the Lord. the channel on the radio is not just right and it's kind of intermittent and you get it a bit and then you don't get it and but the Bible says my hear my voice and they follow me you know my friend what being a Christian is all about It's about knowing Jesus. It's about following Jesus. It's about loving Jesus. It's about holding the hand of Jesus and being faithful to him and to your fellow man and coming to the end of the journey and forever going to be with Jesus. If you're having problems with his voice, soul and primary purpose of Christianity, you're missing a lot of it. Because it's all about the presence of God in your life. I heard his voice. And my friends, when she heard his voice, he began to speak. And he spoke to his friends, and he said, Who is this girl? And they told him. Immediately he knew her. And the Bible says that whenever he came to her, in verse 8, he, Boaz said to her, Hearest thou not my brother, my, my uh, daughter? In other words, listen to me. Don't go to glean in another field. You're in the right field. You're in the right field. My friend, this morning, are you in the right field? Are you in the right field? Are you in the place that God wants you to be in? I can't tell you. I have had people come to me and they've poured out their problems at times and they say, what do you think? And I said, well, I can give you a bit of advice, but look, honestly, I have enough trouble. But, but you finding your will is not my business. It's not my business to guide Bertie Johnson. It's not my business to guide Stephen or any of you. My friend, I can give you advice and counsel and share and this and that. But you've got to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. You've got to be before God yourself. That's where the total commitment comes. That your commitment to Christ is, 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 Lord, I need to know what you want me to do. It's not even what the pastor wants me to do, or even to know what the elders want me to do, or what the denomination wants me to do. Do you know they could all want you to do things, and God may do that. So you'll have to find it yourself. And this way I find it. And the voice came and said, I said, You're in the right field. <laughs> you know, it's lovely when the Lord, by His Spirit, comes to you and witnesses in your heart and says, You're in the right place now. It's a lovely thing. Lovely thing. He not only said, You're in the right field, but then He said, Neither go from thence, but abide here fast by my maidens. You're with the right workers. You're with the right people. You know, friends, in the providence of God, whenever you follow the Lord, the Lord had you born at an exact time. You weren't an accident. It wasn't that you happened to be born. God had it all planned. And he has an eternal plan, and he is a blueprint for your life. You're very important to him. And I want to tell you that when you were born and God, by his grace, drew you into his kingdom, God has people. Many other means, but he has people. And God has people that he uses to help guide and shape your life. Now, one of the dangers is for Christians that we can become obsessed with a person. I often say to people, don't become obsessed with one person. Now, it's good to be faithful to your church and your pastor. I understand all that, and that's important, and pray and be there, all that. But it's important to recognize that God in his providence can bring you into different situations and different seasons and different classrooms and meet different people. And God will bring those for a reason, if you're committed to them. And God will use them in your life to do something, to shape you in some way. And you have to be willing not only to embrace what God would do through them to let them go as well I don't mean that you fall out with them, I mean that you have to be willing to recognize that God can bring you to different fields and different classrooms when you graduate in one you'll have another one to go to and you begin to see a pattern in your life where God brings people you begin to see his providence in people and it's wonderful the way God does it. And you know it's very... And Joseph got a raw deal. But even though he was in the prison with the raw the Bible says the Lord was with him. Just like this woman. You see, he was totally committed. He said, God forbid that I would against the Lord in committing a He was committed. To Christ in his personal life, and so the Bible tells us that on this journey, in I can tell you it wouldn't have been of old dirty prison, but the Lord, you know, even when you're under the trial of God in your life. God will give you little gems, God will give you little providences and little provisions along the way to help you. To help you. He'll do that. And he did that for Joseph. And then Joseph, you remember the two boys said, Here, we had a dream last night. An accident. But it was pivotal. When you know the story, that he interpreted the dreams and they were right, but then he just had to go on with his business. The next day it was just back to the old prison. God was to use one of those men to ultimately get him to be prime minister. God can do that. God can work and weave things into our lives through people, through people. He said, you're with the right company. I have learned from being a young Christian, I never choose my friends. I've never done it, and I'll never do it anymore. I'm never choosing my friends. I let God choose them. And the people today who are my friends are probably many of them people I would never have found. God do it. And you know the wonderful thing is when you let God do it and you keep close to God you'll find that your life is enriched by those friendships. The Bible says that we're to look after our friends and value them and to value our fathers. Fell out their former friends God says, don't do it. There are sometimes problems can occur. I understand that. But the principle is keep the friendships because God can use them in wonderful ways. He really can. The master's voice. You're in the right field. You're in the right workers. And then in verse 9, he said, let thine eyes be on the field that, where they do, re- they do reap. And go thou after them, the young men that they shall not touch thee. And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. He said, you're going to be safe. I have told the young men not to touch thee. I remember Pat Kitchen on one occasion we used to prayer years ago here. And I remember one morning, Pat Kitchen talked about this verse. And he said in the conversation, he said, you know... The Lord was going to preserve her from rape. She was a beautiful young woman. The Lord was preserving her from that. But what's the spiritual application? That the Lord wants to preserve you from spiritual rape. You can be spiritual. Where the church can do you harm. That can happen. And I always remembered that. Every church can do good, and thank God for those who do good and preach the gospel, but we can also do harm. And that happens in every church because we're fallen. But what we have to do is we have to maximize the good and minimize the bad. That's what our aim is maximize the good and minimize the bad. God said, to "Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward." He didn't take a shield. I'll give you a shield. God said, "I am thy shield. I am your shield." Well, friends, as we draw toward the close, this man was greatly moved. Boaz, a picture of Jesus, to this. And when he said to his servants, who they said, oh, this is the damsel that came from the Moab. She has come with her mother-in-law. And he came over to her, and this is what he said to her. It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done to thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. Your reputation you. Isn't it good that you had a good walk with God? Isn't it good that you wasn't shady in business? Isn't it good that you didn't have a lying tongue? Isn't it good that you was committed consistently to the Lord? Because we out all over Bethlehem. And he heard. And it wasn't bad news. I remember a little man many years ago that I brought to do a meeting with the youth 30-odd years ago, up more in the old hall here. A man called Willie Linton. He's with the Lord many, many years. From Maharaj. And Willie Linton came, and he, I remember going to get prayer from him. He prayed for me. I was very bad with depression. And I can remember meeting that man and for a variety of reasons, the Lord really touched me in so many ways. It's a memorable event in my mind meeting that man. and I brought him and he spoke to the youth, he had a gift of healing and he prayed for many people and wonderful things were done through his life. but he really loved the Lord, and you could sense that when in the presence of God with him. And he died, and years later, I met a man th- man we were chatting, and I said, did you ever hear of a man called Willie Linton? He said, I did. I did. And the worst I ever heard was that he was a good man. You can't buy that. You can't buy that. My friend, the Bible says, let another man praise thee. Don't praise yourself. That's what a man said. The worst I ever heard about that man was that he was a good man. Sadly, sometimes it's not like that, isn't it? It can be anything but that. Her reputation made a way for her. The man noticed her, and when he heard who she was and knew all about her, she was drawn even closer to him. You see, friends, whenever you follow the Lord the way that this woman followed the Lord, you'll get closer and closer to the Master. Jesus will become more real to you. It'll become a reality personally. But with this, I want to close. It says that Boaz, whenever he told her all about this, he said to her in verse 12, the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given unto thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings... Thou art come to trust. God's not a bird. But I'm sure most of us have, at some stage, maybe watched a hen or a bird on a nest. And the wee ones are picking their heads out or running wild. And the mother hen gives the noise, and they all come running, and under they go, and the wings come down. Wonderful picture of protection, refuge, safety. He says, you're safe, you know. You're safe under the Lord. You're safe in him. No matter what's happening in your life, you're safe in him. At verse 14, and I'm closing, Boaz said unto her at the mealtime come hither and eat of the bread and drink of the vinegar and she sat beside the reapers and he reached her parched corn and she did eat and was sufficed and left. She got into the field by the providence of God. She began to hear a voice that was New, and she got in on it and then when the voice spoke man it was all comfort about the right place the right people and, and the safety and security in the field and now she's at his table she's sitting at the table with him the table in the Bible always speaks of fellowship and she's hearing him clear now And he's handing her the food. The very thing that she was looking for, he's giving it to her. He's giving it. We read it at the start. Whenever she left the table, he said to his reapers, do something that you don't normally do. Just start dropping corn. Drop the wheat. Start dropping it. Wherever she is, drop it. And she's coming behind, and it's bountiful. Some commentators say that instead of having enough for a loaf of bread, she got a week's wages. Week's wages. Why? Because she's at the table with the master. You know, you can break your back, and you can work from early morning until late at night to achieve and buy and scheme and whatever. But let me tell you, you'd be far better than at the Lord's table. And you'd be far better getting to know him and you, you would see that he would start to drop supernaturally. He'd start to drop things before you. And you discover, as the Bible says, that the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and adds no anxiety or stress with it. Some Christians from early morning to late at night, wore out, wore out. Don't have time. Oh, my friend, you've taken a bargain. It's a bad bargain you've got. Wouldn't you be far better to let go and let his big hand start dropping things in front of you and begin to trust God? You might be saved a lifetime, but you can start it today. You could start it today. And if you do it, you'll discover the same God as Ruth will do for you what he did for her. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your precious and your living word. And I pray, Lord, for the people who are gathered today. You know all their hearts, you love them, and you care deeply for them. And I pray, Lord, that your word will find a resting place with faith. And I pray that people will experience a deeper walk with God and enjoy the Lord better and enjoy his presence at the table. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.